What's up? What's happening? Welcome here to Lacrosse. Now, Travis Eldridge back with you again this week, and uh, it, life is good. We've got college lacrosse back. We got real games to talk about from this past week, and we'll talk about week zero on the men's side. Also, get you ready for week one, our first full slate of games uh, for men's lacrosse and the opening weekend of women's lacrosse. We'll talk about all of that coming up on this show, including getting Tracy Weiner, our women's expert, get her thoughts on some of the top teams on the women's side. Maybe some surprising takes from Tracy, especially about the number one ranked team in the country entering this season. We'll also be joined by Yale attackman Matt Brandall. Get ready uh, for this season after he took the fall off in order to conserve some eligibility uh, to wartime uh, candidate uh, Matt going into this season. So we catch up with him as Yale is a couple of weeks away from starting off the year. Ivy League teams, of course, uh, just getting underway on February 1st in terms of full practice. So we'll talk with Matt uh, as he gets ready for this season for the Bulldogs. But let's start with some of the games that we saw from this past weekend. I'm going to give you some of my thoughts from the quote-unquote week zero of the college lacrosse season. And I've got some different categories I'm going to run through about what we saw. Let's start with uh, the biggest statement. And the biggest statement, I think, was Maryland. Terps just absolutely crushing this, the Richmond Spiders. 15-4 to your final. I don't even know if this game was that close. Maryland was that dominant at home in the season opening win. The defending champs looking as good as they did at times last year. Richmond did not shoot the ball well in this game. A lot, they actually outshot Maryland overall, but just didn't get a lot on cage. And when they did get them on cage, Logan McNaney was terrific. 12 saves, only three goals against, picking up where he left off in that national championship season. And if you thought that wearing number one for Brett Maycar may be a little burden on his shoulders. Think again, the, the close defenseman just goes off five ground balls, four cause turnovers. The guy is a machine on that end of the field. So that was what we figured would happen. That was the known. We figured that that end of the field, I mean, Richmond being held to four goals, you expect that from Maryland, but the offense showed some pop. They scored 15 led by Owen Murphy's four goals Dylan, uh, Daniel Maltz, Daniel, not Dylan, Daniel Maltz, two goals and three assists. If the offense can give them that kind of production, we know the defense is great. So some questions answered offensively for Maryland, and that is trouble for the rest of the Big Ten and the rest of the country. This team is back as you expected them, but there were some unknowns, a new offensive coordinator, uh, some new pieces offensively. You got to replace the Tawarton winner. Um, in Alec Wisnowskis. So there were some things, uh, or Logan Wisnowskis. So there's some things to figure out. But uh, all those questions, uh, at least answered in week one offensively for the Terps. So that's our biggest statement from week zero. Uh, how about our least talked about transfer that is an impact guy right away? And uh, we're going to make this headline right on the mark for Syracuse because Will Mark, the transfer goalie from LIU, was terrific. Maybe lost in some of the criticism of Joey Spelina scoring just one goal and the, the struggling stat line, at least shooting the ball wise, was the fact that Will Mark was terrific. He makes 13 saves, gives up only five goals in his 7-5 to five win over Vermont. And that's a lot of pressure for the defense and the goalie when the offense wasn't great. Syracuse didn't shoot the ball real well. And, and you kind of figured that. Some new offensive pieces, a very young team on that end of the field. But the defense and Will Mark played terrific. I watched most of the second half of this game. Syracuse does not win 
without Will Mark's play. He was fantastic. And that's great news if you're a Syracuse fan, because you figured that the offense was going to take some time. And, and I think that was abundantly clear after week one. Like they have talent on that end of the field, we know, but it's going to take some time to figure some things out. If the defense and goalie can play like this and they can get wins while the offense figures it out, I think later in the season, this team is going to be a team to be reckoned with. So the takeaway for Syracuse fans is feel really good about Wilmark, transfer goalie, an impact guy right away. And, you know, I was being told by some different people, like, hey, this guy's really good. He's going to make a difference. But I don't know if nationally it was talked about enough. Make sure you talk about this guy because he uh, honestly, he plays like this. He could be an All-American candidate by the end of the year. Uh, all right. Uh, how about some early Tawarton buzz? Who made a statement here in week zero? Jack Myers at Ohio State already was a star last year. Look, he's been putting up numbers now for a couple of seasons. He's been kind of the prototypical ex-attackman for this Ohio State offense now for the last couple of years. He goes off in a big win over Air Force. Four goals, five assists, nine points as they open up that brand new uh, stadium out there at Ohio State. And this, if this offense plays like that against the big boys, we're going to have to be talking about Ohio State throughout the year. I really like the addition of Kyle Borda, the transfer from, from Fairfield, is a great piece to add to this offense, make it a little bit more dynamic. I'm really excited to see Jack Myers against the defenses of the ACC against North Carolina and Virginia here at the end of February. Because Jack Myers has done this against some teams in the past. Can he continue to put up this kind of production against the athletes you see in the ACC and the Big Ten on some of these defenses? That will be the question. He's gotten number one defenders for a good good portion of his career now. Now, can he continue to produce and put up these big numbers against those teams? I'm really intrigued by those last two weeks of the, the, fe- uh, the month of February for Ohio State. They play North Carolina and Virginia. I think we're going to learn a lot about this Buckeyes team pretty early on. Uh, Finally, an honorable mention. I just want to say, if you watched or listened to the show last week, I got the Utah-Denver game completely wrong. I mean, I thought this might be a game. It wasn't. Denver was impressive. Pioneers looked dominant in a a win against a typically pesky Utah team. This Utes team has given Denver trouble the last couple of years. Denver's teams that we thought we knew a little bit more about, I, I think we still don't feel like we know a ton about this Denver team, but the offense looks sharp. And uh, the defense was uh, as good as advertised. Good start for the Pios in Bill Tierney's final season as a head coach. So there you have it. Some uh, week zero thoughts uh, coming out of our our first weekend of college lacrosse. Yale had to sit at home. They'll be sitting at home again uh, this week as they continue to get ready for their opener against Villanova in a couple of weeks. That's a, a Sunday game on February 19th. But Leading up to that game, had a chance to catch up with Yale attackman Matt Brandau as he gets ready for another run at this thing, a guy who may be a wartime candidate. So I had a chance to catch up with him last week as he gets ready for this season. We continue to get ready for this 2023 spring season. We've got uh, Yale's Matt Brandau joining us now. And uh, Matt, uh, behind the scenes for everybody, it's we're talking here on February 1st, which is first day of practice uh, for everybody in the Ivy League. I just... Walk me through the excitement level of you guys start later and everybody else. So, so what's it feel like to finally get a chance to suit up again with the, the team? Right. Well, we've been on campus for about two weeks or so now, and we've pretty much been itching to get back at, uh, to have a full practice with the coaches. Um, we've been doing our best captain's practice as much as we can, but there's nothing quite like that February 1st, you know, the, the feeling in the air, walking into the locker room is going to be very, very exciting today. And I know it's probably felt across the league as well. 
What does it feel like for you knowing that this is your last go around with Yale? It, does it feel different? Um, well, actually, this is my second to last go around with Yale. So I uh, just Never mind. All, all good. But um, so this fall and then next fall, I've taken I'll take a leave of absence from school and finish up my last two semesters this spring and next spring. So um, well, I, but on that note, you know, it is a lot uh, a lot of my classmates or former classmates last go around. So I know it's uh, definitely a little bit special for them and certainly for, you know, the several guys in my class that did the same thing I did. Um, it's going to be, you know, a very special year trying to go out with a bang for, for, for some of those guys. I can't keep track of who's been able to figure out this system and stay on campus for longer. So good for you, man, because that getting a chance to, to continue to play with this team and at that school is special. I, I wonder, I mean, you mentioned different players that you've come up with. And there are guys that didn't have the luxury of being able to figure this out like you did because COVID happened so early on in your college career. You, you have experienced it now the last couple of years. What's it like when you see some of the guys that you've competed with for years, they've been your teammates, and because of the system, they've got to go somewhere else to finish up their college career? Right. It's definitely, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking a little bit. I think that everyone that plays at Yale knows it's such a special place to play. And um, if they had the the opportunity that I did to finish out, you know, four full years at Yale, we we know for a fact that they'd be doing the same thing. Um, so it's definitely, uh, it's tough to see, but I know, you know, the guys that have ended up playing at different programs are a bunch of really high quality guys. Like, you know, this year's Brian Tevlin and Chris Fake at Notre Dame and Brian Tevlin was elected a captain there after a couple months on campus. So, you know, I think it says a lot about Yale, how it prepares, you know, young leaders, but also um, wish that we could suit up with those guys for one more season. But, you know, it's, it was such a bad time for everyone and it, we're blessed they have gotten through COVID um, you know, healthy and able to keep playing at all. So. So you keep an extra, is like special track of Notre Dame, especially this year throughout the season? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, they're, they've got a great team They're uh, They should be poised for a great year and watching those guys and, and seeing how they compete in, in a new, new league and on a new team is going to be very exciting as well. So you mentioned the fall and uh, because of this, you, you weren't on campus in the fall. What was that like? It was definitely different. Um, you know, I, I was living in New Haven, so I was able to compete in captain's practices, but nothing with coaches, no lifting with the team. Um, and it was it was pretty difficult to be separated from from the squad for so long. I definitely missed, uh, you know, playing with the guys. And um, I had a great opportunity and was very lucky to work with Joe Sai uh, this fall so I got some great experience and did some things that I otherwise wouldn't have had the chance to do which was definitely a pick-me-up but um, you know it, it made the feeling of getting back to campus this spring and being enrolled as a real student again that much more special. You mentioned uh, having a chance to intern with uh, Joe Sai in the fall and I was reading about some of your experiences in the Inside the Cross article that uh, was written about you What's it like to be able to interact with a guy who's one of the most successful business people and leaders that we have, not only in this country, in the world? Certainly. And, and what, what you said was spot on, that he is one of the best leaders, I think, that I've ever had the chance to work with. But you'd never be able to tell how successful he was from the way he carries himself. He's, he's such a humble guy, you know, very caring about everyone that he works with and extremely passionate about the companies and the, the teams that he works with as well. And um, I think that being able to, you know, sit next to him and pick his brain about anything, any business leadership question I had, any sports leadership question I had was really quite unique. And, you know, his leadership style is 
you know, he wants to surround himself with people he says that are smarter than him. And I'm not sure how many people smarter than him there are, but, you know, he is a very, you know, he, he leads in a very humble way and cares a lot about serving the people that he, he leads. So um, it was very special to see that, you know, up close and personal this fall. And I know he's a huge Yale lacrosse guy. So how many, how much Yale lacrosse was he picking your brain about? Oh, we, we talked a lot about Yale lacrosse for, for sure. Um, you know, with, with, with you last year, you're, you're second in the country in points per game by the end of the season. You put up 99 points, gigantic season. And, like, I was talking to your head coach, Andy Shea, about this this fall. I felt like you maybe didn't get the national recognition. Like, you're not a towards-on finalist, weren't a first-team All-American, but you put up the, the numbers and the stats that proved it. Does that give you, like, a chip on your shoulder? Like, how did you feel at the end of last season? Obviously disappointed as a team, but maybe disappointed individually as well. You know, I think um... – that's a good question. I think that, well, you know, some of that stuff obviously might be disappointing for you know, at least my brother on Twitter. I really don't tend to think too much about the individual awards. And I'm, I was much more, you know, bothered by losing the last game of our season in both the Ivy League playoffs and the NCAA playoffs. So while it may be you know, slightly disappointing and maybe provide a little bit of a chip on the shoulder, I really don't you know, care too much about the individual awards. And I, the only trophy and awards that I'm really going for are the team ones. So spoken like a true leader on that that team as as we would expect um how your role has obviously changed a bunch since you you've been at Yale you you join a team that's so talented and you come on and you're just like asked to fill a role and now as you progress now you're a leader a quarterback of an offense and all that how how do you look back at how your role has changed over your time there at Yale right well I think that it's uh, it's uh you know, the position that I've been put in has spoke a lot to, you know, the recruiting and also the talent that, that has come through this program. Um, I think that without the leadership and the ability to kind of sit back and watch guys like Matt Godet and Jackson Morrill and Brendan Rooney my first year, I would have never been prepared to step up and take the, the role that I had. And, you know, Jackson Morrill really took me under his wing and taught me pretty much everything that I need to know about quarterbacking the Yale offense and how to be a leader. And I think that, even this year, you know, guys like Chris Lyons and Leo who are Leo Johnson who are coming up underneath me are going to take quarterbacking role as well. And I think it'll be phenomenal to have three guys that have the ability to quarterback on the field and kind of open us up to play different roles in an offense as well, play more off ball and things like that. So um, it's definitely been special to kind of develop as a player through my time at Yale. But I think that a lot of that has been credit to the guys that I've learned from and also the guys that are hopefully learning a little bit from me. You mentioned those guys like Jackson and, and Matt, who were part of that team when you come in freshman year. You're also joining a team back in, in 2019 that's coming off winning a national championship. I, and I always think that's so unique because like you contributed right away and you're part of that team in 2019, but like you're coming on campus to a bunch of guys that just accomplished the ultimate goal. Like, what was that like? Because, you know, like you obviously probably as a high school senior are really pumped that the team that you're going to join just won a title, but it's not yours. So, like, what's what has that done for you now throughout your career, having known that that was accomplished right before you got there? I thought it was I thought it was great for me. I thought that, you know, pressure is a privilege. And I think that, you know, I, as much as we wanted to approach that season with it's a brand brand new clean slate you know obviously in the back of everyone's head it was looming that there's this team could accomplish something special and has most of the players have accomplished something very special so 
Um, you know, at this point in our in the Yale lacrosse career, no players that won the championship are now currently on the roster. So I think that it's it gives us a good idea of something that we can chase and something that we know is possible, but also that none of us have tasted before and are very hungry for. So um, it's definitely it was definitely a unique experience stepping on campus um, and seeing you know all the guys that have had all the success and that I watched in high school. Um, that I won a championship, but they did a really good job, I think, flushing that and or at least moving on from that and uh, approaching it like a new year. So, I mean, you guys get back to the championship game your freshman year. How much did that taste of being so close, how much does that continue to drive you here in your latter stages of your career? It, it, it drives me tremendously, I think. You know, anytime that you get something or so close to something that successful and that you've been chasing really your whole life and then, you know, end up coming up just a little bit short, it leaves a really sour taste in your mouth. And I remember the, the following spring, it was 2020 when uh, our season was cut short due to COVID. But I remember working out one day and really struggling to, to find motivation in that workout. And I think our strength coach kind of noticed that and put on the, the tape of us losing the Virginia championship over the loudspeaker in the weight room. And I think everybody kind of kicked it into gear a little bit and realized that, you know, we are we will, we are an angry group of guys that wanted to do something very special. So. You mentioned watching some tape. Who are the guys, whether they're pros, guys who played in the past, like guys that are in college now, like who are the guys you watch just to like take ideas from to try to continue to build on your game? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I think, um, you know, growing up, I was a big fan of the lacrosse IQ of guys like Steel Sandwick um, and watching him play. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'm not certainly built like him or, I would I'd say not quite as skilled with the stick as him, but you know, he was so brilliant in the way that he played angles and, and used his, you know, body weight to his advantage. And then nowadays it's uh watching guys a little bit more like uh Rob Pinnell, I would say. Um, you know, guys that use their bodies very well in dodging and and are able to beat guys through contact as well. So those two I think had a, a big impact on me as I grew up and tried to shape my game. What kind of impact did playing so much sixes here over the last couple of summers with Team USA, including here in the World Games, what kind of impact has that had on your game? Uh, I think it was huge. Obviously, it got me in pretty good uh, cardiovascular shape as there's <laughs> yeah. a ton of conditioning involved there. But, you know, being able to play with some of the guys on the team like Tom Schreiber and Adam Gittleman was very special to me. And, you know, guys that I watched, you know, I've watched growing up in college and watched at the pro level now and being able to get advice from them and encouragement from them was huge. Um, but also just, you know, it, it, it felt a little bit like box and that's a game that I haven't um, played a lot of before. So learning some of those skills, whether that was pick play or off ball play was also very important for my development. So I think that it definitely gave me, um, you know, a leg up and some of the learning stuff that I wanted to master more for sure. Your coach, Andy Shea, told me this fall that you played all of last year injured. Like how, how, how hard was it? Um, I think, uh, you know, I appreciate what coach said and our training staff definitely did a great job of keeping me together. Um, I got, I hurt my shoulder in the Denver game and um, I was very fortunate to have a lot of great, you know, team doctors and, and training staff to keep me uh, going, but it was definitely a little frustrating at times knowing or, you know, being through a practice or a lift and knowing that I couldn't do something that I previously was able to do. But I think realistically it was not, an injury that was able to, you know, slow me down too much on the field. So it was actually pretty okay, I thought. But um, I'm very excited to get back to a clean, healthy slate this year.
Yeah, so where are we at now as you, you get ready to step on the field for practice one? I'm good. I'm feeling I'm feeling really good. I'm very excited, and the uh, body's feeling pretty good. <laughs> I'll leave you with uh, with this one because, like, I, I mean, knowing some of the best players, it's always like, uh, yeah, last season was great, and I feel great about my game, but this offseason I wanted to work on this to get better, and th- this is how I want to take the next step. Well, what are some of those things for you that are like the – things that you feel like you've been working on that can take you continuously to get better? I think uh, continuing to work on kind of the mental side of the game for me, which is just staying calm and composed. I think that last year there were some moments where I felt, um, you know, a lot of emotion on the field and it was able to kind of drive me to play a little bit outside my, you know, ability or, or uncharacteristically. And, um, you know, this fall, you can't really practice that without being in the heat of competition. But this fall, I did a lot of work on that side of my game. And hopefully, you know, I'm able to carry that into the spring and stay composed and, you know, um, continue being a leader on the field despite whatever's happening. Uh, well, Matt, we can't wait to see you guys back on the field here in a couple of weeks. We appreciate you taking some time. Uh, enjoy this go around and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk sometime here down the road. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. So to get us ready for the 2023 women's season, which kicks off this weekend, finally, we've got Tracy Wiener, our women's expert, joining us. Uh, Tracy, it's exciting. This is it. We, we finally have gotten here. The men's kind of kicked it off this past weekend. Now we get the women's this weekend. Uh, how pumped are you? I am beyond pumped because I, I do think that this is a really competitive year in women's lacrosse. And I have to be honest with you, Trav, my blood got pumping as soon as I got my U.S magazine for the year with the preview and after going you know what 23 and oh unc doesn't end up on the cover i mean like if that's not fodder to get the season started i don't know what is you have this this season that's unbelievable in the semifinals you're the biggest comeback in history and you don't get the cover of us across magazine okay well, <laughs> you know it just sets the tone and and i love that i love that jumping off point so let's let's talk about the terps and the heels i want to start quickly with the terps they like they didn't need to prove anything to anybody, but maybe it felt like they did after the all big 10 season where they, they had some uncharacteristic struggles. Well, they're back in the championship weekend conversation and they felt like they got better here in the, the off season with some of the transfers and pieces they've added in. What do you like about what the Terps have done? What I like about the Terps in all honesty is that they're not built for February and March. They're built for April and May. They have the best goalie in the country and arguably the best defense in the country. And we all know that that wins championships. So when you look at Maryland, I feel like they know what their blueprint is to win. And they are following it. They're sticking true to themselves. They're being who they are. Look, they still have a few players that are going to get it done for them on the offensive end. You know, I mean, they have Libby May, Lubica, Clevenger. I mean, they, they do have those pieces. Um, but you know that when you have the best defense in the country with the best goalie, that allows for a lot of early season mistakes that allows for, you know, the offense to grow and produce. And when you look at their schedule, they open up the 17th with Syracuse. They have the um, Florida on the 25th. But then, honestly, when I looked at their overall schedule, I didn't think it was as tough as some of the other schools in the country. Yeah, and we're going to have a chance to see them. Uh, they play Drexel uh, coming up on the, the 21st of February, so we'll have them here on the Cross TV, which will be exciting to see them uh, play a pretty talented Drexel team. But but you're right. You know, I mean, you have those couple early tests, and then you got Northwestern in the Big Ten, and, and that'll be their, their big test down the stretch. Correct. Let's, let's go to, to Carolina because – 
I, I think it's so interesting. We had so many parallels last year between the North Carolina women uh, and the Maryland men with how they had all-time great seasons. Well, on the men's side, you got the Maryland men that lose a ton, and they're not the number one in season polls. North Carolina women, they lose a lot on offense too, but they are because of the like reserves it feels like they have coming back. But it's going to be a different look on offense. What is this offense going to look like? Well, it's going to look like Wurzburger, if you ask me. I mean, I, I, that's why I really feel like losing Wareheim was huge for them. I don't think people really understand that, that when Taylor decided to play her fifth year, um, you know, out in uh, Florida, I think is where she's at. Uh, you know, like that's a big loss for them as well. When you lose Ortega, you know, when you lose uh, the big pieces that they lost, Scotty Rose, Grownie, that whole crew, you know, it's very, very difficult. Um, they lost Ortega, Grownie, Mastriani, Gearsback, Aldave. But for me, Trav, you want to know the truth? Who's going to replace Taylor Moreno? I, you know, I mean, like, holy cow, like that is such a huge loss for them. Uh, so that's not even going to give the offense a chance to grow. But I do think that Caitlin Morsberger, it's her time. Look, they do have the two, you know, kids coming back in Emily Knowles and, and then they have Brooklyn Walker Welch yeah. on the defensive end. But still, you know, they lost Emma Trenchard. You know, you're losing all these pieces that were so pivotal. And I, I don't think that people truly understand, you know, that what it takes to win a national championship. The draws are going to be huge. Gears back came up because at the end of the season, she was the one that had the matchups that didn't match up because everybody was watching everybody else, you know? Yeah. So now they're all going to be able to concentrate. Look, Wurzberg is going to get the number one defender on every team. Let's see how Caitlin steps up. Yeah. Well, I think it's so interesting to watch Caitlin Wurzberger's career because she may be the most talked about recruit in the history of women's lacrosse with how long she was talked about from the eighth grade thing and committing and then uh, heading to North Carolina after she switched her commitment. But then like you get to college and to be that talked about before. And then because she's on such a talented team, she was able to fly a, a little under the radar. What do you think it's going to be like with her stepping into that role? Well, you know, it's, it's going to be where, again, she needs to understand that she is now the target of every coach's you know, when, when they're doing, uh, watching the, the videos and, and making all their adjustments, she is going to draw the number one defender. And they are going to say, Caitlin Warsberger, you're not going to beat us. If North Carolina is going to beat us, it's going to have to be one of your surrounding pieces. It is not going to be you. And again, when we look at who graduated, Ortega, Grownie, Mastriani, Gearsback, Alde, I mean, those are nightmare matchups in general and to have them all on the same team. So I, I think that, I think that, you know, Jenny Levy, yeah, you know, you were coach of the year last year, but this is the year you're going to prove to us that you're coach of the year because, you know, she's got to work cut out for her in terms of just her game planning, just knowing how are you going to free Wurzberger? What are you going to do when Kaylin hits that frustration wall? Because when you look at Carolina's schedule, in all honesty, they're smart. They don't have a tough game till their fourth game in. No offense to any of the teams that they're playing, but they will have three games in before they hit Florida and six games in before they get to Boston College. Every other team like kind of opens up against a tough team at a conference. So at least that Carolina, in all honesty, they will have a couple of games under their belt to try to figure some stuff out. Yeah, and we, we talked with Caitlin Wurzberger earlier here in the offseason, and she said, look, it's probably the offense going to look a lot different in February than hopefully it does in May. And it's one of those things. If they can continue to get better, uh, they could be a really talented team, but it, it's going to be different than it was last year. It's not going to just all work right away. 
Well, you know, it reminds me of when everybody graduated at Maryland and, and they just kind of locked off Meg Whittle those years. You know, so who, when, when, when Meg standing, so when Morrisburg is standing on the 30-yard line with somebody in her grill, what's the other six going to do when you're playing six on six? Speaking of uh, star players that have now left, uh, Charlotte North is gone at Boston College, one of the most decorated players in the history of the sport. But I, I look at what they have coming back, and it, it, there's, a, there's a lot back there. And it, oh, talented, cool. I mean, like Belle Smith has to be a Tawarton uh, candidate this year with, with what she's done. I mean, what do you see in the post-Charlotte North era at BC? Balance. I, I see balance. So what I see from them is now all the other players can kind of breathe a little. And say, you know, we don't, you know, and again, a talent like Charlotte's is defining. It's game changing. It's altering. She deserved, and this is not a knock on Charlotte, because she deserved all that she gets and all that she still gets, because she is one of the greatest female players to ever play this game. That being said, I give her teammates a lot of credit for stepping back and allowing Charlotte to be Charlotte North. Jen Medjet is a star in her own right. Yeah. Belle Smith is a star in her own right. You know, you have the defense, you have Schleicher, you have Hunter Roman, you have Scales, you have all these other kids that were so good, but allowed Charlotte to be Charlotte. So I, I think what you'll see now is actually the scouting reports are going to be a little different. Okay, yeah, Bell will probably get the best player on the defensive end, but don't count out Jen Medjid. Jen Medjid's a stud. You know, and again, Boston College has a great defense and a lot of speed in the midfield. And now they also have this group that are only like juniors, a lot of them. And so, so, and they've already experienced national championships and, you know, uh, final fours and championship games. So I, I do believe in my heart that Boston College will be their championship Sunday. That's one of my teams that I have there. I, I like that pick. And, you know, I, I think it's also easy to forget with how much star power they've had as at the older age groups, but they've gotten some incredible recruiting classes off of the heels of some of those deep runs. Um, you look at the Hasselbeck sisters who like, you're talking about some of the top recruits in the country who really have just tried to find their way into, into like extra roles on, on this offense because they've had so much talent. Correct. You know, and, and, and you still have the weeks kids are there, right? I yep. mean, so, you know, you, you're talking about so many kids with so much talent and so much familiarity to each other. So I, I do think that they are going to be, other than Maryland, the most balanced team, you know, that we have in, in the country right now. Yeah, and, and don't forget Rachel Hall's back in goal for Boston College. And say what you will about her regular season stats. She has been there championship weekend now back-to-back -back years. Well, very few teams, you know, in the top, bracket here can say they have their returning goalie yeah so and, and again we all understand how important that is I mean we saw Taylor Moreno made some saves last year that just were mind-boggling look and we were just talking off before about the Syracuse game we watched on Saturday and their goalie was out of his mind and so sometimes the goalies look they're either the hero or the goat you know what I mean true so um for some of these teams you know it's, it's definitely going to be um that you know finding those out graduated and filling them in with kids that are ready to play and I think Boston College has the most that are ready to play all right let's uh talk about Syracuse you just mentioned the men's team that obviously has some growing up to do with on that side on the women's side they have some veterans back uh, Megan Tyrell you mentioned USA Lacrosse Magazine the preseason player of the year returning to wartime finalist but I feel like no one's talking about this team in the preseason why 
I, I, I think it's because you still have some kids that are coming back. Like some of their stars are coming back from serious knee injuries. Yeah. So you have Carney, you have Ward, um, you have the other Tyrell. So really the ones that are healthy are Majewski and Tyrell. So what, what they're waiting to see, I believe, is, is everybody back? Is everybody at full strength? To, this is my dark horse team, Syracuse. First of all, you know, I just love Kayla Trainer yeah. and her coaching staff, Defoe, that whole crew up there. I mean, they're amazing. You know, she's got like this amazing staff up there. And I think they work hard. I think that she's, you know, recruited well. Um, and I do think that if all of these players are healthy, I think that Syracuse can be. And we'll know early on because February 11th, they open up against Northwestern. And then a week later, they play Maryland. So we'll know right away where Syracuse stands. You know, they're always going to play that defense that they play that, you know, it's not my favorite, but whatever, they love it. Um, but I do think that Syracuse is one of my dark horse teams, you know, and I, I look around and I also feel that way about Florida. Yeah. You know, for me, to segue into, you know, other teams here, Florida and Stony Brook, I believe that this is their years that they need to finally say, you know, they always say, oh, we know we're the underdog. We're the underdog. No, no, no. Everybody knows who you are. Get to the final four. Let's go. You know, like we keep talking about them. Is this going to be the year? Is this going to be the year? One of these years has to be the year. Stony Brook has taken those steps. They've gotten out of their conference. So they're playing in a more difficult conference, although it's not, you know, but they open up against Michigan. I mean, they have a nice little schedule. You know, he went outside the box a little bit with his schedule um, to give them some more talent. You know, he's got Hart. He's got Levy. I think Ellie Macera is a star. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think that, you know, Stony Brook has a better opportunity this year to be NCAA ready. But when you look at Florida, look, they already had Lapinto Pav. They got Resnick in the cage, who's amazing. But they brought in three legit transfers. They went to the transfer portal. They brought in Wareheim, Matty Waters, who I love from USC, and then Diaz from Bryant. And I think that this could finally be the year you know, that Florida, you know, can make some noise and maybe get to the final four. Cause I I'm think glad. that fourth spot is up for grabs. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Sarah Resnick because she's the type of goalie that's returning. She can steal you a game. Like I think she single-handedly helped them beat Syracuse down in Florida last year with how she played. She can steal you a game that maybe you, you shouldn't win otherwise, but she makes a couple of great saves and boom, all of a sudden you're, you win a game by two goals that you could have lost by three. That's correct. And, and what she does also is that pumps the team up unbelievably. And when you have a goalie like Resnick in the hole, it allows the defense to take a few more chances. And sometimes those chances work out. You know, they're going to be a little more aggressive. They're going to try to hop some passes, knowing that if they make a mistake, you, you got Resnick in the hole. So I, I do think that, that this is that time for those teams to step up. Florida opens up against Michigan, which you know has a stingy defense. They've done a nice job. They play Maryland on the 25th. So, you know, again, all these teams are kind of playing each other. So I find it interesting to see where everybody plays out early on in the season. Yeah, we'll, we'll know who's got what, at least early on uh, in, in February here. All right, let's finish off with Northwestern, because despite the fact that Izzy Skane didn't play last year, they make the run to championship weekend, nearly beat North Carolina. I mean, they are minutes away from holding off the Tar Heels. They can't quite can't get it, can't quite get it done. But now Izzy Skein is back. What is the impact of that, especially considering this team was really good and have some pieces back from that team, and now you add Izzy back? Well, you got a 
Kirkendall, you have Skane, you have White. You, and again, you know, they got Radigan from Mercer, who's great, Haley Radigan. And I'm going to tell you right now, an impact player for them is going to be their freshman, Maddie Taylor from Wontaw. And I can only talk about her because I've seen her play a million times. <laughs> She's a stud and a half. Um, they got Lacasio, you know, from St. Anthony's as freshmen. I, if a team is going to play with a chip on their shoulders, it's going to be this group because I don't, I, you know, that was a tough one. Uh, no one's going to lie. All of us as coaches, that's your worst nightmare to be up by that much and, and to see it slip away in such a big spot. Um, but, you know, he'll, Kelly Amante is so resilient. And, you know, you saw Skane was their biggest cheer on the sideline in that whole game. The only thing that, you know, you wonder is, is going to be the same as Boston College? Are we just going to focus on Skane? Is, is it going to try to be the easy train all over again? And, and you know, I, I think in the beginning, I hope that, that she doesn't push that hard. There's going to be Skane time because she is legit. She is talented. She was the missing calming piece on the field last year. Maybe not all that talent in terms of what they needed to score. But when the game was getting out of hand, I will tell you that Skane would have been that kid on the field that pulled it all together. Yeah. So, you know, that's what they were missing from, from Izzy. Um, so I, I do think though, that they are incredibly talented and I do think that they have an opportunity uh, to, to make some noise this year and possibly get back to the final four. So, you know, I, I do think, um, I, I kind of feel like, I don't, I don't know, you know, it's, it's only February, but yeah. I, I do have Northwestern in, in there. I love, um, obviously Maryland and, um, BC, UNC, Syracuse, Florida, Stony Brook, and whoever else may be a dark horse. I mean, we, we haven't even mentioned the Ivy leagues. It's wide open. Honestly, we, it may, especially after last year with what we saw from North Carolina, this may be the most wide open we've seen the women's game here in a couple of years. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It is, you know, you never know about team. Look at Rutgers last year coming out of nowhere, 10 championships. I mean, they lost a lot, but you never know who that got them recruited by, you know? And like I said, Michigan is always tough. Uh, Stanford, Denver. I mean, we haven't talked about so many teams. And then I'm also excited to see first year in Clemson. You know, big time program. Um, nice to see those schools kind of bringing it in, you know. And Clemson brought in some uh, some transfers to to help them get this thing off the ground. They they could be like we saw Pitt competitive right away with some of these teams uh, in the ACC. Clemson might be competitive right away. Absolutely, you know, and 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 the, I just think it's it's fun, and and I love to watch how lacrosse is expanding. I like to watch where it's headed. Um, of course, I think, you know, Long Island's still the hotbed, just going to say. Of course. But, <laughs> but, I mean, we haven't even talked about Loyola. We haven't talked about Duke. We haven't talked about, you know, all these other schools. I mean, Duke has so many talented players returning. You know, DeSimone, you got Carney, you got Cubby Biscardi. You have all these, you know, players that are coming back. And who knows, you know, UVA we haven't talked about. And you don't want to be disrespectful to anybody and, and, and their staffs and all that they do in the offseason. And, that's what I love about girls across this year. I really feel as though um, there's, it's a lot more competitive. Well, we get to watch it all play out, which is what we love so much. Tracy, we appreciate you getting us ready for the start of the season. We'll catch up here soon. Good. You know, and Trevor, nothing would make me happier than if Marist, you know, my daughter's team would get into the final four. I'm just excited that they're playing at Hofstra this year. 
But I got to give a little shout out to my kids' college team. So go Foxes. There we go. <laughs> Tracy, appreciate it. Thanks. You got it, Trav. Take care. So let's just build on that enthusiasm from Tracy Weiner on this women's lacrosse uh, week one coming up this weekend. And I'm going to give you some games to watch. We'll get to the men's games to watch here in a second, but we're going to build off of what Tracy was, was talking about. Uh, let's talk about our games to watch, or at least my games to watch for week one here, the college lacrosse season on the women's side. Let's start on Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. It's a 6 p.m. West Coast uh, time game. Virginia makes the trip all the way out to take on Stanford. Stanford's got a lot of talent back from a, a young, talented team a year ago. Felt like they started to figure some stuff out maybe toward the end of the year before the disappointing end uh, in the NCAA tournament. Ashley Humphrey, a name you must know for the Cardinal, preseason All-American, deservedly so, put up huge numbers a year ago. Keep an eye on her, a Virginia team that's trying to figure some stuff out as well. So I, I'm very interested in this game. I think we're going to learn something about both of these teams on Friday night. So that's game number one to watch. Let's go to Saturday, noon Eastern time, up at the Carrier Dome, Northwestern and Syracuse. Syracuse starting the season against the team that ended their year a year ago. That was a dominant win by the Wildcats in the NCAA quarterfinals uh, against a banged-up Syracuse team for sure. The injuries certainly took their toll down the stretch of last year. We will see how healthy Syracuse is uh, to start this season. That will be a, a big question mark. Also, how healthy and how does Izzy Skein look for Northwestern? Our first look for her at her coming back off the injury, but she is a tour time candidate. Megan Tyrell, preseason player of the year for Syracuse. So what a way to kick off the 2023 season for both these teams. An absolute blockbuster. Two teams that will be in the championship weekend conversation. So great to see this one kick off things uh, in the Carrier Dome Saturday at noon. That is must watch. TV. And finally, I'll give you one for Sunday, noon Eastern time, Michigan and Florida. I, I think Florida is going to win. I think they're the more talented team. They're the more proven team with, with more coming back. High expectations for this Gators team, though. So how do they look against a talented Wolverines team? You, you know what Hannah Nielsen's going to do with this program. They are going to be competitive from the get-go. So how do they look? How do the Gators look? Emma Lopinto uh, helping lead that offense in her sophomore season was one of the best uh, offensive players, uh, best freshman offensive players in the country a year ago. And Sarah Resnick in goal is uh, an All-American candidate. So those two, Florida has a lot back, high expectations for this team, despite the fact that they still have some youth, but they've got experience from last year. Uh, we were talking to Tracy about some of the transfers. So I'm really interested to see how Michigan, uh, how Florida looks against Michigan that game uh, down in Florida Sunday at noon Eastern time. So there are my uh, three women's games to watch. I'll give you three men's games to watch for this weekend. Uh, first, real full slate before the Ivy League joins play uh, here in College Lacrosse. Let's kick things off with Georgetown at Hopkins on Saturday. Hopkins got a nice road win against Jacksonville to kick things off, believe it or not. Hopkins, the underdog in that game as they went down to Florida, but they took care of business against uh, a Jacksonville team that's trying to figure some stuff out here at the beginning of the year. This is the real test for Hopkins here early on. Can you match up athletically with the likes of the Hoyas? The Hoyas, with the transfers they brought in and the pieces they have on defense, they have some of the best athletes in the country. I mean, you can talk about them there in the conversation, the likes of Yale and Duke in terms of the athletes they have. Maryland, you throw in there, Virginia. They can match up with those types of teams. 
Can Hopkins match up? Because if Hopkins is going to be successful this year, they have to be able to match up with Big Ten, ACC caliber athletes. We'll learn a lot about uh, Johns Hopkins right off the bat. And the Hoyas have their own stuff to prove this year. Like, you lose to Delaware in the first round of the NCAA tournament after having been a perennial top three, top four team the entire season a year ago. I mean, look, they've got to get back to May in order to prove things to most people in the country. But how do you look right off the bat? I'll be really intrigued to see how some of those new pieces offensively fit in. Tucker Dordovic, Jacob Kelly, Nikki Solomon, all transferring into this offense. How do they fit into an already pretty talented offense uh, here for the Hoyas? So our first look at Georgetown and our first, I think, look at the Hoyas, how they may stack up in the Big Ten because this is the, these are some of the type of athletes you're going to play when you play in Ohio State, when you play in Maryland, when you match up against the teams that they have to beat if they want to be successful this year. Uh, speaking of the Big Ten, Michigan has a real test to kick things off. They go to number one Virginia in Charlottesville on Saturday. I think this is a game to watch because I think it could be kind of close Era. I would not be shocked if the Wolverines made this interesting against the Cavs. M- Michigan brings a ton back. They've got uh, a veteran uh, attack unit that I think can put up some points, even against a very talented Virginia squad. And look, Virginia has gotten off to slow starts at times. Like they are a team that whatever it is, their style, their feel, like they can early, especially early in the season, they are going to figure some stuff out and they're going to learn as they go. But sometimes they let some teams kind of hang around for a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if Michigan hangs around for a bit, makes this competitive, and this becomes an upset watch early uh, in the season here on Saturday. By the way, for Virginia, along with all the talent they have coming back, also our first look to see the former Stanford linebacker, Ricky Maizan, now turned midfielder for Virginia. You see some of the videos coming out of preseason training for the Cavs, and you see him going up against already big physical guys and you see how he matches up and he looks big on this team. So when you look big against Virginia on a Virginia lineup that has some of the tallest, most physically gifted players in the country, and you are impressive next to those guys, good luck to anybody else that has to play Virginia because I mean, he is going to be a load to be, uh, to deal with. So I'm really interested to see him, what kind of game action he gets in in his first run what kind of roles Virginia uses is it uses him in and um I, but I just wouldn't be surprised a little upset alert maybe Michigan keeps it close at least for a little bit enough to uh, garner some attention from the rest of the country uh finally another game that I think could be interesting uh Stony Brook at Rutgers in New Jersey a little regional rivalry here just Stony Brook plays a lot of teams especially in that tri-state area very tough uh, they could be sneaky. They get some love from the CAA coaches here in the preseason poll. The, the Rutgers look terrific in the win over Maris to open up the season. 20-8 victory. Name to watch uh, for the Scarlet Knights. We know what we're going to get from Ross Scott. I think he's going to be great. He had a hat trick in the opener. But Dante Kulas, a, a name that, in talking to Brian Breck to get ready for games here in the last year, would come up in production meetings and he's like, ah, you know, he's, uh, we're developing him. We, we like what we see in practice. Well, he showed up in this first one, five goals, three assists for eight points in the win over Marist. 
keep an eye on that name because with some of the pieces that they lost, some of those key transfers that had come in for Rutgers that are now gone, they're looking for some pieces offensively. He could be one of the answers, and that would be a big uh, thing for Rutgers to compete in a, a in a top in the top part of the Big Ten, along with the likes of Maryland uh, and uh, and Ohio State, who I think at this point are probably going to be the top two. I think Rutgers could be in that conversation to be in the top half of the Big Ten uh, entering that conference slate. So Stony Brook Rutgers, keep your eye on that one uh, this weekend as well. So there you have it, games to watch for our official quote unquote week one of the college lacrosse season. Uh, We'll recap it all here next week as we continue to roll through this year. We'll get you ready for our first games here on lacrosse TV coming up in the next couple of weeks. But for now, that is all the time we have for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next Tuesday.